You can take your seats. I'd like to welcome you. Thanks for coming on this Resurrection Sunday. And uh, see a few new faces. I see a few old faces. And I just love all of your faces. So uh, it's very good to be here this morning. Do you know the first time I ever preached was in 1984 on an Easter Sunday. And uh, in Cooper Pedy, right, right in the middle of Australia, we went to play, we went to ride motorbikes. That's where I learned to ride motorbikes in uh, Cooper Pedy in the centre of Australia a long, long, long time ago. And uh, I feel sorry for those people who went to church that Sunday morning expecting to hear a decent message. They got me. I'm still not a great preacher, but I have improved a little bit from that day. So uh, I do want to thank all of our volunteers and all the people who just worked so hard on our Sound of Music musical. It was fantastic. It was fantastic. Let's give them all a great hand. It was awesome. You know, I was thinking about it. On the day, if you include our communion services in the morning, you can include all of the uh, uh, productions. We had over 1,700 people come through our church on Good Friday. That's amazing. God is good. And they heard the message of Jesus, and they heard a message of uh, freedom and the gospel message, and I love that. I think it's excellent. But today, we celebrate Resurrection Sunday. We celebrate the the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of Christianity sits on this. It's the central point of our faith. That's very interesting. The resurrection doesn't save us. That actually happened on the cross. When Jesus said it was finished on the cross, that's when it was finished. It was on the cross that he reconciled us back to God. It was on the cross that he redeemed us. It was on the cross that he took his sin upon himself. It was on the cross that Jesus saved us. It was not the resurrection. It wasn't the resurrection that saved us. The resurrection proves the cross. The resurrection proved that it was finished. The resurrection showed that God had indeed said what he was going to do and that he would reconcile man back to God because sin and death no, no, no longer held us to the grave. The, resurrection, the resurrection proves that Jesus Christ finished the job on the cross. It's essentially like an Olympic athlete winning the gold medal there in Japan. That's where they won it. That's where the victory was. But the real victory is when they come back to Australia and they have a street parade and people on the side of the streets cheering. The resurrection is God's victory parade. The resurrection is God saying, I won. And we all celebrate. It's a celebration. He may have won it on the Friday, but it was on the Sunday that it was proved that what he did was enough that it was finished, that it was done. I love it. The resurrection is God's celebration that death and sin had been overcome by Jesus on the cross. And that's why it's so important. It's so important to understand the resurrection. Now, there is a great chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15. The whole chapter is essentially about the resurrection. And I would say to you, do yourself a favor today 
And in your personal reading, go and read it. It's a long chapter. It's 58 verses. It finishes really well. Lamna 58 says, like, everything you do for God is seen by heaven. It's proving the resurrection that our, that our lives lived on this earth are seen by heaven above. And we should live our lives with the fact that heaven is watching us, that there's something more to life than just this life. Look what Paul has to say about the resurrection from 1 Corinthians 15. I won't go through it all today, otherwise it will be next Easter by the time I finish. But let's have a look, just verse 14. This is talking about if there was no resurrection. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless. Everyone say useless. Useless. Your faith is useless. Without the resurrection, your faith is useless. It can't do anything for you. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. You haven't been forgiven by God. Everything that you did, you're still guilty of. Everything you've done and going to do, all those ways in which you've fallen short of the, of the character of God, of who God is, you're still guilty of that. There's nothing you can do. The blood of bulls and goats and the sacrifice, they aren't going to help you. Trying to be good enough is not going to help you because that's what Jesus did for us. And if it didn't happen, if he just died, then our faith is useless. Useless, pointless. You're still guilty. It's so important to understand the power of the resurrection. It's important. It goes on. In that case, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And one of the great things of the resurrection is that means I know that, that those who have given their lives to Christ, I'm going to see again. You know, the Bible says we don't mourn as those without hope. When my mother died, when my father died, when my sister died, when your loved ones died, we have a hope. We're sad. We mourn. It's a horrible, horrible thing. Some of you this morning would be having your first Easter without someone that you love. It's a horrible thing. But we have a hope that those who trust in God, we will see again. And that happens because of the resurrection. Imagine having no hope that that's happened. That's it. My mum's just gone. It's over. It's done. It's finished. It's just about this life. That's what the resurrection does. If there is no resurrection, everything you do is just about this life. That's pretty hopeless. That is very, very hopeless. So look at this. It goes on and says this. Uh, and, I, and I love this. It says, we, we talk so much. Let me read it to you again. We're lost. And if our hope is only for this life, we are to be the most pitied people in the world. You know, that's how some of your relatives, your friends, your workmates, your co-workers think of you. They think you're to be pitied. You didn't get drunk last Friday night. You didn't sleep around the other day. You didn't have an affair. You didn't have a thing. I remember working with this guy and he would always, like you see some good looking girl, Right? And he'd always tell me all about her features. And I go, your wife's way better looking than her. Your wife's amazing. And I'd always bring it back to his wife. But he just thought life was about trying to see how many girls he could get, even though he was married. 
right? Like it's now life is a pity. They pity us. What you, you've only been with your wife. What you, you went to, went to church. What, what you, you don't get drunk. What, what you're not doing drugs. What, what you're not going to festivals. What, what, oh, what a sad life you live. And many people would believe that Christianity is sad. That, many, that, that Christianity has some way stolen their joy, stolen the, the ability to have real life. Yet the Bible says that the Christian life, that's real life. And it's life not only in this world, but in the world to come. The resurrection says, don't just live with this life in mind. Live with all of life in mind. So we actually talk so much about blessing about what Jesus does for us, about how coming to Jesus makes our life better. And I agree with that. I, I, I believe that following the example of Jesus and, and listening to his teachings is wise and beneficial. I believe that the way of the upright is upward. I'm totally convinced of all that. But Paul is saying if you're only following Christ from a now perspective, from a this life perspective, it will ultimately disappoint you. See, when Jesus taught people, he taught people with eternity in mind. See, his, his teachings were way more than just a 10-step program of how to get blessed, of how to get more money, or how to improve your relationships. They Things happen. There are things that accompany salvation. There are the better things that happen as you make right and wise decisions. That, that makes sense. But that's not the reason to follow Christ. That's not the reason to believe in the resurrection because in the end, the world will be the world and you have good days and you have bad days and if you only live with this world in mind, then you're gonna be up and down depending on whatever happened to you on any single day. Jesus was different. He came speaking of the kingdom of God. Things like loving your enemies, forgiving those who hurt you. See, if you think about the Jesus teaching on the Sermon of the Mount, he actually talks about a whole lot of things. He begins by telling everyone, hey, if you follow me, you're going to be persecuted. Isn't that work in a park? Isn't that easy? Don't, don't think it's unusual that there are more persecutions right now. This is just the way of the world for so many Christians all their life. And to this day, people have given their lives to, for Christ, for Christ, for believing in Jesus. He then goes towards everyone about, Anger, adultery, divorce, vows, revenge, giving, prayer, fasting, money, possessions, judging others, worrying, and everyday life. But he does it in a way that's staggering to them. They're, they're staggered by what he's saying. They're, they're perplexed. They actually go and say, we've never heard teaching like this before. And the reason is simple. Everyone else taught like this life was the only thing that mattered. Yet when Jesus talked, he spoke everything from an eternal perspective of life. That's what the resurrection does. It changes your mindset from living your life now, what's going on today with what's happening just to me. And all of a sudden, you start to live your life with a resurrection mindset, which says, I'm going to live eternal. I'm going to live with eternity in mind. My life is so much more than what my life is just here in these four squares of 2022. See, Jesus never came to only make sure that people were looked after in this life. 
If Jesus came to make sure that people's needs were only met in this life, he actually died a failure. Because on that cross, there were people who were still going through so much having to deal with life, who were still sick, who were still poor, who were still bound. It was the message of the resurrection. It was the message of the cross. It was the message of the gospel that he came to do to win men and women back to Christ. See, he knew that in this life, we would be persecuted. We would be misunderstood. We would be mocked. We would be marginalized. We would be falsely accused. And that's why Paul writes, if there's no resurrection, we are to be pitied. We are living the disciplines of the Christian life for no reason. We just die, we get buried or burnt, and that's it. That's to be pitied. That's to be pitied. And that's why our relatives and our friends sometimes don't get us. You know, one of us are going to be going to Easter lunches today and we're going to be with people who just don't get us. You know, my mum always used to say, before she became a Christian, she always go to my brothers, don't listen to him. He's just brainwashed, right? He's just brainwashed. And I go, yes, just like everyone else, I just chose who washes my brain, right? <laughs> How pity to you if it all it is is when you die, you get put in the ground and worms eat you. That's the sum of your life. I think that's sad. Paul goes on to say in verse 32, if there is no resurrection, let's feast and drink for tomorrow we die. And I say amen by 1,000. Trust me, I'm not a good person, right? Like there's the disciplines of Christ that have worked in my life. If there's no resurrection, let's eat, drink and be merry. See, if there is no eternal life, if Christ died like anyone else, like Buddha or Muhammad, then what's the point of sacrificing? What's the point of dying to self? What's the point of good works? It does nothing. There is no reward. If that is the case, then promise you, then I'm going to live the most selfish, most narcissistic life I can ever live. Literally every one of you now just become a vehicle to me to get pleasure and joy. I don't have anything, any conscience towards you. It's all about what I can get out of you. Because I'm just living my best life. I'm living my best life. And that's what life is about if you don't believe the resurrection. is me. What can I get out of Rachel? What can I get out of Jason? What can I get out of Harry? What can I get out of someone? All you are is pawns to be used in my life to make my life better. How horrible is that? How selfish is that? How disgusting is that and a horrible mindset to live. But if there is no resurrection, trust me, if I can get some advantage, some pleasure, some reward by using you, I'm going to do it. And Joe, you know, I'll tell you what, that's modern atheism. If you listen to Richard Dawkins and the like, you're left with a sense of how hateful and how selfish it is because it's all about me. It's the ultimate Dog eat dog. It's the ultimate law of the jungle. And that's exactly what Christ came to set us free on. In a world without the resurrection would actually pretty soon plunge into chaos. It would literally become tribal. It would literally become me against you. If they're without the resurrection, 
it's just a very, very sad world. And one of the great things of Christianity that actually happened after Christianity was the very fact that people started to actually care about other people. One of the very first things that the Christians did is that like you were able to have a baby and if you didn't want to keep that baby, you could just throw it off a bridge. And what it did, the Christians would come and they would gather up those children who had been thrown away and they'd start to look after them. Right? All of a sudden, world became not just about getting what I can get. And even if you think every religion is just getting what I can get, I want salvation, I want God to love me, I want God. Well, it's got nothing to do with other people. But the moment that you give your life to Christ, the moment you start to live what the resurrection is, you go, no, it's, it's about the next life. And I want to do the next life with him. And I want to do the next life with her. And I want to have a heart that says, hey, the world isn't just about me. The world doesn't stop at the end of my nose. The world actually begins at the end of my nose. That's what Christianity is. That's what the resurrection does. Thank God Jesus rose. Paul goes on and says something else about the resurrection. He goes, and we apostles would be all lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. Paul's saying, hey, you think I went through all this for a lie? Right? I mean, it wasn't, if it was a self-help thing, if it was a, a self-enrichment scheme, probably did pretty badly because he got beaten, he got whipped, he got stoned, he got shipwrecked, he was cold, he was naked, he's hungry, and he's imprisoned for a lie. Not that smart. He goes, do you think I'm going to go against the religious people of the day when his bread was really well buttered by the religious people of the day? He was a Pharisee. He was one of the ones that they were looking to. He was one of the religious elite. And all of a sudden, he points his back all on that for a lie. Imagine the society he would have been feigned upon. He would have been loved. He would have been followed. He would have had thousands and thousands of Instagram followers, right? But he said no to that and started to live what he knew to be true. What about the other apostles? You know, like he's saying, basically, if, if, you know, I might be a lunatic. But what about all them? They're putting their lives on every day, lives on the line every day. And eventually they're all murdered for their faith. You're going to do that for a lie? You're going to do that for a lie? You don't give up yourself to be murdered, beaten, all those different things that happen. You don't do that if you know it's a lie. It just doesn't happen. And that's why the resurrection is the most attacked thing or facts of Christianity. Because if I can disprove to you the resurrection, if I can say to you the resurrection didn't happen, if I can come up with another theory as to what happened there on the resurrection Sunday, then I can say goodbye to all of Christianity. All of Christianity has nothing else to say. And I want to say right at the very beginning, the enemy tried to discredit the resurrection. Let's read about it. Matthew 28, 11. As the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and told the leading priests what had happened. Jesus has risen. The grave is empty. The tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. Jesus is not there. A meeting of the elders was called. This was a bad day. If they thought it was bad when Lazarus was called up from the dead, let me tell you, Jesus rising from the dead was even worse. This was a bad day for the religious people. 
And so they decided to give the soldiers a large bribe, money. They told the soldiers, you must say, Jesus' disciples came during the night while we were sleeping and they stole his body. Imagine Roman guards saying this. Imagine them saying, oh, we fell asleep on duty. Right? I mean, that itself, they're going to be killed for that. It's almost like, you know, and then like one guy, yeah. All right. So, and right, let's see, they stole his body. If the governors hear about it, then we'll stand up for you and, and we'll, we, we won't get you in trouble. Because they knew by saying that, no, no, we'll stand up for you. We'll, we'll tell them that there was something in the water that day or something, you know? Like, so the guards accepted the bribe and said what they were told to say. Their story spread widely among the Jews and they still tell it today. And so it goes on to this day. There's all these theories about what happened, trying to explain away that on that Sunday morning, the stone had been rolled away that there was a pile of neat clothes and that Jesus was no longer dead but was risen, right? That was a magnificent day until that day. That's what set us free. It's God's victory parade. And to this day, people are using all sorts of theories. There's the swoon theory. Jesus is just asleep. He's actually unconscious. He's taking a big beating. And so after enduring a crucifixion, Somehow, a cold air blast or something in the tomb, but heals him, right? So after being whipped, beaten, speared in the side, nailed on a cross, he's now strong enough to rip aside all the tightly woven grave clothes, move the stone, and then beat up a contingent of Roman guards. I want to say... That's actually a greater miracle than the resurrection. (laughs) There's the hallucination theory that everyone who saw Jesus was having a hallucination. That might sound good, but the Bible says that Jesus was was born, was seen by more than one person at a time, 500. There's probably, I know, 200 people here right now. All of us saw the same hallucination it probably isn't a hallucination, right? It probably happened, right? It is not just made up, right? We saw the same thing, right? If this side of the room described what that side of the room, what the front of the room saw and the back, 500 people at once saw you. That's not a hallucination. That's what happened. And let me tell you, to have 500 people have a hallucination at the same time, that's a pretty mean feat. Then there's the impersonation theory. It wasn't Jesus at all. It was just someone who looked like Jesus, someone cleverly impersonating Jesus, an actor. But if you think about that, that doesn't really stand up. He's seen by his best friends, the guys who have been with him every day for three years. He's seen him as a bit like this picture. Not that one, that one. Are you Batman? No. No. Right? That doesn't stand up. And neither does someone personating Jesus stand up. I just, that, that is my humour right there. If you want to understand my humour, that picture, I just love it. I just think it's awesome. No, it's not me. No, I'm not a bad man. You're not Jesus. Oh, yes, I am. Yes, yes, I am. Right? Think about it. How could they impersonate Jesus' wound? No actor's going to consent to getting nails through their hand, whips, marks on their back, side spearing. I mean, just, this is really well paid. 
right? I'm just going to, oh, it's too much. Quick, we need another actor. Uh, you know, like, it just, it doesn't stand up. There's a spiritual resurrection theory which reports that Jesus' body stayed in the grave and that it was his spirit that resurrected. And so when the disciples see him, that they're interacting with his spirit, not an actual resurrected body. But there was an empty tomb. There were grave clothes in the tomb. Jesus met with Peter and the disciples and cooked and ate fish. Spirits don't eat. Bodies eat. Right? Your spirit isn't eating anything fishy today. All right? No, you always say that. All right. The soldiers ran from the tomb. See, there are many theories that the devil tries to use to discredit the resurrection. Maybe the band could come up. But the fact remains that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. And it's the final proof that he is who he claimed to be, that he died for our sins and he reconciled man back to God. So what I'd like to say to you is this. Today, don't doubt the resurrection. Live the resurrection. Live your life with the resurrection fully front of your mind. Live your life that your life is so much more than just this life. You have eternal life. Live with an eternal perspective. Life is so much more than what you eat, what you wear, and the house that you live in. Life is so much more. Live the life that is true life, the Jesus life. Seeking first the kingdom of God means exactly that. See, if I live with eternity in mind, if I live with my God-given purpose in mind, if I live using the gifts and the abilities that God has placed into my life, if I put that first, then let me tell you, then everything else will just come about. If I live my whole life trying to make all of my life work, what I'm doing is essentially turning my back on eternity. When I go towards God, I'm saying, God, I'm, I'm pursuing this. He takes care of all that behind me. So today, don't live with the full thing of the past, of all your worries and, and cares. Live with an empty tomb mindset. And that Jesus is gone. The works, the things, oh, I'm going to follow His plan I'm going to follow what he has to say. I'm going to put his life and his principles as my example. And I'm, I'm going to walk forward into what God has for me. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Not your righteousness. So many people turn that around and say, you've got to live holy. Look, it says that. Yes, you do. But seek his righteousness. He made you righteous. He made you righteous. Father, I pray right now that we would live with a resurrection mindset. We would live 
with an eternal mindset, oh God. Father, a disaster, a problem, an issue may come. It may seem to be the worst thing, oh God. But instead of looking at that, instead of looking at temporal, instead of looking at the disaster, instead of looking at what it could be, I put my eyes on you. I look to you. I set my mind on things above, not on the things of the earth. Father, I want to live with a resurrection mindset that brings life to death, that brings freedom to bondage. Father, that brings provision to poverty. Father, I speak that. I pray, oh Lord, help me to live that. In Jesus' name, amen. You hear me say this probably every two weeks. Because this is why it's important. You need life words from the Scripture. Because every time life starts to get me, every time this world starts to weigh heavy on me, every time it just seems like it's too much and I've got nothing, I get this word that God has given to me. And I'm able to read that and I'm going to go, no, I'm going to look at His word and what He has said, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that rises against me in judgment I shall condemn, for this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is from me. And all of a sudden, whatever it is, whatever's been said, whatever it is that who's coming after me, all of a sudden, no, no, this is my eternal perspective. This is what God has said. This is what God has said. So I say it to you again. Do you have a life word? Not something that I just said, oh, Julie, you're a good person, but something from the Scripture. Because I might like you, but it doesn't really matter, right? What has God said to you? Because God knows what test you're going to go through. My test is different than your test. What you have to do is different than what I've got to do. And so when God gives you a word, when God gives you a life word, then all of a sudden you're able to go, okay, this is for my test. I'm able to get through this. See, what's, what's powerful about this is that when I have a life word, I don't need to run to God every five minutes and go, God, tell me what do I do here. Do I go left? Do I go right? Do I go forward? Do I wear white? Do I wear black? Do I do? He goes, look, I'm your father, not your mother. Right? So, so I don't have to do that. Right? That's an old joke, isn't it? It's just like, it's not, right? But I don't have to do that because I've got a direction. It's the words that He's put in my life. I can walk that way. They need to care. I just walk. And that's the resurrection. God can breathe life into His Word. And when you hear His Word, listen to His Word, then all of a sudden you've got something to proclaim, you've got something to declare, you've got a direction to follow, and that is resurrection life. That's living with an eternal perspective. Let me finish with this. Uh, one of the hard things when you're a pastor is that you actually go to a number of funerals. And uh, I've been to all sorts of funerals. All sorts. I can tell you funeral stories. Some funny, some not so funny. But whenever... I go to a 
funeral of someone who's a Christian. I go, this is the real benefit of Christianity. Their, their body might be in the box, but their spirit is with God. And that's who they are. Body's just a vehicle. I remember my mum. She's 96 years old, going to see her in the nursing home just a few days before she died. And I just looked at her and I go, the battery's run out. Her body just can't hold her spirit anymore. There's, there's nothing left. Her body has carried her spirit as long as it could. You know, she became a Christian at 87 years old. That's amazing, isn't it? I'm forever thankful for that. Someone who's so against, so mean to me so often about my Christianity, right, at 87 years old, gave her life to Christ. And then lived the last, you know, eight, nine years of her life just alive, happy, talking to me about Christian things. Just amazing. Just amazing. But her body gave up. But she is eternal life. She took off her tent and put on her mansion. That's what happens at a funeral. You take off this tent, this temporary thing, and you start to live in a mansion. No one wants to live in a tent. It's good at Easter time. Some people, a lot of people from church are living in a tent this weekend. There's been some disaster. You might have to be evacuated to a tent. But that's just for a temporal time, isn't it? If you could choose to live in a tent or a mansion, it's not a hard choice. Now, I don't actually believe it's a literal mansion. I think you get to, I don't think the things of this earth are what attracts us in heaven. I think it's a difference between a tent and a mansion. I think it's a difference. The things of this world, things don't. Gold is just bitumen in heaven. So a thing isn't going to excite me. I was talking about the difference. This is a tent. This is a mansion. It's eternal life. And it comes by knowing Jesus. Jesus. 